You can grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 John. We've been studying John. I'm going to conclude uh, 2 John tonight, and uh, next next week um, I'm going to give Brother Zach uh, an opportunity. We're finishing 2 John, so in between 2 John and 3 John, we're going to give uh, Brother Zach an opportunity to exercise some, uh, you know, develop some skill and work, and uh, he's going to preach for us next next week. And he said, how long does it have to be? I said, well, however long you can make it when you're done, I'll, I'll finish it up. So whatever, wherever you, wherever you end, I'll just take over from there. So don't worry, don't worry about it. Uh, just preach, you know, and, and however long it is, we'll deal with it and it won't be a problem one way or the other. So, um, but uh, if you're going to be involved in ministry, you've got to be able to uh, teach and to share the word of God. And the, the way to do that is to practice to learn to, to the more you do it the better you get at it a few more years I might might be half to half decent at it I can uh, get a little more practice under my belt uh, and so we want to give him the opportunity I told them when they got here both the interns I said now one of these Thursdays through the summer I'm going to have you guys preach and the summer came and went and brother James took off and I didn't even realize it I'm like man you never even got to preach I didn't even realize how close we were to his departure date and uh, so uh, just we were on a schedule and didn't work out for him to be able to do that. And so we're going to let James do that next week just to give you a heads up. So if you are in Second uh, John now, uh, we're going to conclude this today. It's a number of verses, more than I usually would tackle in one night, but they do kind of coincide all except for the kind of the conclusion uh, of, the, of the text here. But if you remember, this is the shortest book in the Bible, uh, just being 13 verses here. In Second uh, John, uh, we looked at and kind of studied. We noticed that the, fo- the, the focus of Second John is critical for the right application of First John, because First John, the emphasis really is on love and loving one another and loving the Lord. And John is the apostle of love. And if you aren't careful, if you don't have the emphasis that's found in Second John, you can misinterpret or misapply First John. And the emphasis of 2 John is on truth. And we know that we've talked about and discussed the idea that uh, we are never to sacrifice truth on the altar of love. We are to have love, and we talked last week in in great detail and really uh, tried to give a a solemn charge as to the importance uh, of our love. And not just love for one another, but our love for God. And is it really a biblical uh, love that's in line with the kind of love that God has for us? And we want to make sure that it is. <coughs> so we talked the first week about that balance between truth and love. We talked last week about the devoted believer. The do- devoted believer is one who just doesn't just know the truth, but he practices the truth. It's not just, uh, you know, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Amen. We're supposed to be doers of the word. And one that's a doer of the word, one that is practicing, exercising, utilizing the truth that he learns is going to be a lot less likely to be caught up in the false teachings that are prevalent in society today. Even though heresies abound, uh, you know, they're so prevalent when you are saturated with truth, uh, seeing a... uh, 
Coming across heresy is, would be like seeing a pink dollar bill. I mean, seeing monopoly money. There's no question in your mind that it's false. There's no, oh, this is not true. This is not, this is not, they're not, you're not going to be beguiled or deceived by a lot of what's out there today because of the fact that you've been saturating yourself with the truth. You know, the hardest uh, heresy to spot is that which is most like the truth. Uh, deceivers who claim the name of Christ and they call themselves Christians but are really anything but Christians. Yet still still millions and millions of people are ensnared by them. And John gives us here in these closing passages, uh, closing verses that we're going to look at, a warning and some wisdom concerning these false teachers and how we're to deal with them. I'm going to title this lesson tonight, The Full Life, and you'll see why as we read through this. Two times in two situations he describes for us something that should be full. So let's begin by just reading the text and then we'll dig into it. So beginning in verse number seven, reading down through verse number 13, he says, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full Reward. So here's the first one that we see, this idea that there is available to us a full reward. And nobody wants a half a reward, amen? amen. You know, if, if you've got a $100 bill coming, you want the whole $100 bill. You don't want half of it. Uh, you know, you want a, a full reward, whatever that might be. And, and so as Christians, we want to receive a full reward. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then verse number 9, he says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ... Hath not God. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Again, we see here the exercise of truth over love. We know how important love is, but we don't throw truth out. He says here, don't, don't even bid them Godspeed. Don't have them into your home. There is some lines that shouldn't be crossed when you're talking about crossing over truth. And so he says here in verse number 12, having many things to, having many things to write unto you, I would not write the paper in ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that your joy may be full. So there is available unto us a fullness of joy that should be the part of any believer's life that is exercising and uh, practicing truth. And uh, he talks to us about these things tonight. The children of the elect, sisters, greet thee. Amen. So these are the verses we're going to get into tonight. First of all, we want to look at the deceivers. Verse number seven, he says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. I certainly could spend quite a long time and discuss and look at the Antichrist. There has been many people over the years who have been said to be the Antichrist. You've seen that. It, it's, you know, some new uh, politician comes on the scene and everybody's like, oh, this is the Antichrist. And, and then he passes off the scene and somebody else comes. And over the years, there's been different people who have felt or believed that they knew who the Antichrist was. We're not going to run down that too far this evening, but I want you
you to see, first of all, the presence of the deceivers. For many deceivers are entered into the world. The fact of the matter is, is that they are present and they are popular. They are growing in abundance in our society, in our world today. There are many deceivers. They're out there. And they, they, with the advent of the internet and social media and so on, these deceivers have a ready-made platform. They don't even have to have uh, very many followers, but they've got a platform. They can get up and spout whatever it is that they feel they, they want to share with society as a whole. And that false doctrine, that heresy is out there and people come across it. Now, praise the Lord, there's a lot of truth out there too. And that truth is there for people to come across. Uh, Bo was saved because he was searching for the truth and he got online and he came across, praise God, he came across truth instead of error. And he heard a gospel message on the shed blood of Jesus Christ and realized he needed to put his faith and trust in Christ and him alone, without any question, without any hesitation or reservation, Bo put his faith and trust in Christ. So there's good things out there too, but there's a lot of false and heretical things that you can get a hold of. Amen? We've got to be wise and use some discernment when we're searching on the internet for what we might want to live to, listen to, or watch. There were many in John's day, and there are many more today. Second Peter 2, verse number 1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people. So he said, all the way back then, Second Peter 2, 1, he says, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. He's saying, hey, they were present back then. They're going to be present with you today, and they're going to be present in the future. It's just something that as God's people, we've got to be prepared to deal with because there's lots of heresy out there, lots of false teachers, lots of false doctrines. And we are told to beware of false prophets in Matthew chapter 7. We're familiar with those verses. Um, There's false prophets are part of every group. Uh, from the pulpit to the pew, there, there, every, there's false prophets. A false prophet is not just somebody that stands up here and in the pulpit. There can be, uh, for a while, we had somebody attending the church, and I was very concerned about some of his beliefs uh, and how prevalent. And I uh, talked to one of the men of the church who had an opportunity to discuss at length with him some of these uh, beliefs that are contrary to what we as a church believe. And I said, you know what? I don't care that he has shared these beliefs with you. Uh, Hopefully, through the teaching of the Word of God, he can come around to see things from a biblical standpoint. But he doesn't have a platform at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. He's not going to get in front of people, and he's not going to be teaching these things that are contrary to what we believe as a church. And uh, I talked to this gentleman in the church about it, and I said, I want you to just help me uh, because I don't want to find this particular individual. I want to minister to him. I want to help him. If he wants to come and learn the truth, then we want to share the truth with him. But if his objective is to come into Hunt Valley Baptist Church and get Brother Mendoza over here and and try and convince him of this false doctrine and try and grab Zach next week and he's over here talking to Zach and trying to convince Zach of this false doctrine, then we're going to put a stop to it. Because that's not what the church is for. If he wants a platform, he can go get on YouTube. He's not going to have it at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And we want to guard against that kind of stuff. We've got to be cautious and be wary of that. They're in every group, false teachers, people that believe and want to project things that are not in line with the scriptures. We've got to watch for it. 
There are imposters who claim the name of Christ. We see here the definition, or he tells us what they are, and that is that they claim to know Christ, but they do not live for Christ, and they do not believe what Christ taught. They don't practice or believe what Christ taught. Anybody can be a deceiver. It's anyone who teaches any other way of salvation outside of Jesus Christ. That's what he describes here. Somebody, he says it in several different ways in these verses that we've just read. If they're going to come to you and claim any truth outside of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of Christ, that is what is foundational. The, they were to be recognized as a false teacher. This is why it's very important that uh, you and I know what we believe. Because there are false teachers everywhere. You come to Hunt Valley Baptist Church and you come in and you, you think, boy, uh, you know, just going to pick, let's say, Brother Brad. And, and you're, you're like, oh, he's been part of this church for a long time. And, and you, you feel safe in this environment. And Brother Brad starts telling you something that's false. Well, you think, well, he's a member of Hunt Valley Baptist Church. He knows his Bible. I mean, I'm sure what he's saying is true. Well, you need to know what the Bible says. Now, I don't think Brother Brad would tell you something that's false. But what I'm saying is you all need to know. We're to search the scriptures. We're to know what the Bible says. We talked about it on Sunday. We've got to have some things that are established. We've got to have some things that we know that we know what we believe with regards to the doctrine of Jesus Christ and what, where we stand on these things. And it's not up for debate or question or evaluation. This is what God said and this is what we're going to do. Let's have those things settled. So we see this, the... The presence of deceivers that are there everywhere. Then we see the proclamation of the deceivers. Literally, here in the text, they deny the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. There's a lot that we could do with talking about the doctrine of Christ, but dealing with this, the, the idea of the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ, I want you to know that Christ is central and critical to Christianity. Without Jesus Christ, you do not have Christianity. You could take uh, Buddha out of Buddhism and you still have a system of beliefs. But if you take Christ out of Christianity, you don't have anything. Christ is central. He is the focal point. He is critical. And so we must be careful and cautious about anybody that would diminish or minimize uh, who Christ is. The Jehovah's Witness, by and large, uh, you know, they do not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They do not like the book of John. If you ever are discussing or talking about uh, Jesus Christ with them, take them to the book of John. They do not like that. They would much rather take you to the book of Mark. You see, the book of Mark describes Jesus Christ or presents Christ as a servant. It, the book of Mark describes his ministry, and it was written to the Romans. But the book of John as a whole describes Christ's deity, who he was, uh, and it was written to the world. And so they don't like that. They don't like the idea that Christ was presented as deity, that he was God in the flesh. Let me just give you some, re reiterate these things and maybe settle some things in your heart and mind and, and help you. If we're talking about establishing this truth and making sure that it's something that you don't have any question about and we could spend the entirety of the hour just on the deity of Christ, just looking at passages of Scripture that deal with that, but we're not going to. We're going to try and move quickly through this. I want you to know that Christ was called deity all through the New Testament. 
many times. He was recognized as God. He was called God seven times. Jesus Christ was called God seven times. He was called the Son of God in John 10, 36 and many other locations. He, we have the list of the I am's. I am, I am, I am. This is his recognition of his deity. He was called Lord many times, Lord. So just in the names that, that he is given throughout the New Testament, there is an acknowledgement or recognition of his deity. He is called the Holy One in Acts 3.14. These deceivers deny that Christ is the sinless Son of God who lived a perfect and righteous life and thereby secures for us a, the ability to be forgiven. And so they, they want to deny that that's who Christ was. But he was God in the flesh. The Jews recognized Christ and his claims. They saw that to be true. In John five eighteen, he says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So the Jews saw his claim that he was Jesus Christ, that he was God in the flesh, and they said, Hey, that's blasphemy. They recognized and acknowledged his claim to be God. And they didn't, they didn't like it. Um, in John 5, 23, he says that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. Putting him on the same level with the Father. You honor the Son, you're honoring the Father. Recognizing again his deity. He is the same honor as the Father. Uh, to see Christ was to see the Father, John 12, 44. And I know I'm, I'm going quick, but John 12, 44 and 45, he says, Jesus Christ, um, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but he on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. He says, hey, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, because we are one. We are both God and that 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 acknowledgement of his deity and who he was. Paul said that it was without controversy in 1 Timothy 3.16. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of the godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. He was talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, God was manifest in the flesh. What I want you to understand is there are many people that it is their goal and their objective to minimize or take away from the deity of Jesus Christ. If you do that, you destroy Christianity. You remove the power that Christianity has and the impact that it can have in this world. They also want to try and maybe take away his humanity. Because if he was God, but he wasn't human, then he wasn't tempted in all points as we are. Then he, he didn't come and endure like we did. He did not become a human for us and, uh, you know, in acknowledgement of all of his own claims in the New Testament. So they would take away Christ's humanity and say that he was, you know, he was God. Yes, he was God, but he wasn't human. Like he was somehow this, this, this super being. And, and I want you to know that according to the scriptures, he was human. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was, he, he was human. We see this in several ways. I'm going to give you these. He was born of a woman. He was subject to the laws of nature. He grew like we did. The Bible says he grew in, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew like a normal boy would grow. Jesus didn't have any big uh, special halo around his head. He wasn't a, uh, you know, didn't have this glow about him 
this, you would look and see Jesus coming through the door. It wasn't, you wouldn't even know him to be Jesus if you were in that area. The, the Bible tells us that he was uh, an average Jew. That's how, that's how they looked at him, just as an average Jew. He had an average Jewish appearance. Um, you remember the woman of Samaria. She said unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, asked a drink of me? So she recognized or understood him to be Jewish by his appearance. You being a Jew, why would you speak to me? That doesn't make any sense to her. She just saw that he was a Jew, but not, she didn't say thou being God, why would thou speak to me? She just recognized him as a Jew. He did not stand out in any particular special ways. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says that there is no beauty that we should desire him. He says that, that Jesus Christ did not have any special beauty that, uh, you remember Judas in the garden when uh, he was going to betray Christ? How did he point Christ out to the soldiers that were going to take Christ? With a kiss. You see, there was nothing in that group of men that those soldiers coming up would have said, oh, that's Jesus. No, he says, the one that I kiss is the one that's Jesus. You see, there was nothing especially outstanding about him as a particular individual. He was human. He was like we, you and I. He wasn't super strong, super big, super tall, super good looking. You know, the, the artists like to render him as being this extremely attractive man. It really bothers me that they make him effeminate. Uh, you know, they try and give him blonde hair and blue eyes and make him all sweet looking and all that. I think he was a man's man. I think he, you know, he was a, uh, worked hard with his hands and, and did the labor that he needed to do, worked with his, uh, as a carpenter with his father and uh, earthly father. And I think he was, you know, he looked like and acted like a man, but a lot of times they draw these pictures of him. Uh, by the way, this is not, he, Jesus didn't have long hair uh, like many of the uh, depictions of him. Of course, none of us were there, so... You know, the artist renderings, and you say, well, their, their guess is as good as yours, except that I have scripture. Uh, the Bible says that doth not nature itself teach you that it is, you know, an abomination or a shame for man to have long hair. I don't see that Christ would, uh, on one hand, say that it's a shame for a man to have long hair, and on the other hand, Christ would have it. So I think you have some Bible there that, you know, says that Christ wouldn't have had long hair. Um, that's a side note. Uh, also, some people say or believe that he had long hair because they say, well, he was a Nazarite. So he must have had long hair because he was a Nazarite. Well, no, he wasn't a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. There's a difference. He came from Nazareth, so he was a Nazarene, but he was not a Nazarite as somebody that took the Nazarite vow that was not supposed to cut their hair. You know, so just a, a highlighter secondary. But some things with regards to Christ's humanity, I want you to know the Bible tells us and I'm going to fly through this. If you want to see my notes, you're welcome to them. But he was weary in John 4, chapter 6. He was hungry in Matthew 21, 18. He was thirsty in John 19, 28. He felt pain in Luke 22, 44. He was tempted in Hebrews 4, 15. He felt compassion in Matthew 9, 36. He felt anger in Mark 3, verse number 5. He felt love in Mark 10, 21. And he felt grief in John 11, 33 to 38. Now, I know I flew through this. What I basically want you to see is that he was human. 
So yes, he was God, but he also was human. Those two parts are very important. And what John says is that there are some deceivers. They're prevalent. They're popular. There's many of them out there that want to take away from the deity and the humanity of Christ. Now, there's a great danger we see in verse number 8. He says, look to yourselves that we lose, lose not the things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. I thought about taking this whole chapter and reteaching it just off of this verse because the idea here of a full reward. The full reward is available to anybody. And so what do you do to achieve or to have a full reward? And we're not going to take the time to go through that, but I want you to know that we've got to guard against it. There's a danger that we could lose our full reward. Uh, if we adopt or fall into or practice false doctrine, we've got to avoid that. We cannot lose that reward. In uh, Psalm sixty-two, twelve, he says, Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. We know that God is going to reward every one of us according to our work. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's going to be exciting when we get there and we have or we receive a full reward. My, my, young, my children uh, still enjoy uh, getting, doesn't matter how old they are, they enjoy getting a reward. From, now it gets a little more expensive now that they're older. <laughs> the reward has to be a little more than an ice cream cone from uh, McDonald's, amen. Now maybe a gelati from uh, <laughs> uh, Rita's, that would do it, but those are like eight bucks, you know. So no more 99 cent uh, uh, kitty cone, but uh, they like the reward. I still enjoy getting a reward. You know, even just uh, talk to my dad today. He called me up. We talked for a couple of minutes. And, uh, you know, just to hear dad say, hey, I'm proud of you, son. I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank you for serving God and just trying to do what's right. And, and listen, uh, that just, it means a lot to me. I appreciate that. I value that, that he, uh, it, I look at it as like a reward. And I can't imagine what it's going to feel like when we get to heaven and we have from our heavenly father a full reward. We want to try and make sure that we achieve and do what we're supposed to do, that we might receive that full reward. We've got to live in light of the judgment day. We know that we all must appear before God at the judgment seat of Christ, and everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Listen, the judgment seat's coming. The judgment seat's coming. You know, I told you guys recently, and, and this is just something that's in my heart and mind, and it just it, it, it breaks my heart because the guy that I told you about that, that was found out that had an adulterous relationship, and he's not in the ministry anymore, and he was such a gifted man, and, and I mean, I, I really felt like I couldn't hold a shadow to him in, in regards to uh, his abilities, and yet I look at it, and, and I think... Okay, that sin was brought to light. It's been exposed to the world. And I can imagine the, the shame and the, how upset he is at himself and, and, you know, the loss of his ministry and all of that. <coughs> but, beloved, if he would have been thinking about the shame of that being revealed one day, Way back here, when it first started, when the, when the thought first entered his mind, if he would have thought about the broken hearts of those people in the ministry and all of the churches around the country that he had influence on and the, the people that he's going to discourage and how many Christians would, would just be 
maybe questioning their commitment or their faith because he fell. If he could have seen that back then, maybe he wouldn't have gotten involved in that. What I'm saying is we got to be, live in light of judgment day is coming. And all things that are hidden are going to be made manifest. They're going to be revealed. And, and beloved, I, I can tell you that in my own heart and life, there's things that I've participated in or been around or done that I standing before you today would be ashamed if they were revealed to this church. And therefore, I must live each day in light of the fact that that day is coming. That I can't just float through. I can't just do what I want to do because nobody lives a life unto themselves. Oh, you say, well, you're a pastor and obviously you impact the church and and you hold a a greater condemnation according to the scriptures. And I do. And it's a heavy weight that's on me. But nobody here lives unto themselves. What you do and say and practice and how you live impacts other people. And I wonder if what you're doing in the secret of your own home or in your car or on your device, if there's something that you're participating in, that if we stopped and put it up here on the screen today and say, this is what he looked at this week. This is what he saw this week. This is what, would you be ashamed? Well, those things haven't been brought to light yet and you still have an opportunity to confess and to forsake it and change it and be forgiven for for that and say, God, I don't want to participate in those things. I want to live in light of judgment day and I want to receive a full reward. There's a danger, beloved. The Bible says some are going to suffer loss, but some are going to be rewarded. The danger is that we'll get there and we'll suffer loss instead of receive our full reward. I hope that you receive a full reward on that day. We see in verse number nine, we see the doctrine. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. There is the doctrine described here. This is the doctrine of Christ. And it is our job, our responsibility to hold up the doctrine of Christ. The word in the beginning here, transgresseth. Whosoever transgresseth, I can't pronounce the Greek word, but it literally means to go beyond, to go ahead of. To, to, and you know how many people want to say, well, yeah, Christ is very important, but what you need is Christ and, right? They want to say, oh, you, it, you want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but you also need to, and they want to go beyond that. I don't know if the motivation is that people would think highly of them. If they would think, boy, he's got such a great grip on, on scriptural truth, or he's such a spiritual guy, or they try and go beyond the doctrine of Christ and add things to what Christ said. And he, that's the, he says, hey, that is false. That is uh, a transgression. We need to abide in the doctrine of Christ, the things that Jesus Christ taught and gave us. Our full duty is to stay in the doctrine that Christ gave us and to fulfill and to follow it. The New Testament, uh, this, uh, sorry, is a testament to your, to your salvation. He says here that he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ uh, hath the Father in the doctrine of Christ? He hath both the Father and the Son. But if you don't, you don't have you don't have the God. You don't have what he says. Hath not God? So the example there, the idea that if you if you really are abiding in Christ, you're going to hold to that truth. If you find somebody that's uh, preaching, and not that we can't hear and get off sometimes on some things, but if they're continually in pursuit of false doctrine, then it's very questionable whether they truly have God or not. 
we're to remain in the doctrine of Christ. You know, it's only someone who has something to believe that has cause for separation. You see, if you know what you believe, then you have cause for separation. J. Vernon McGee tells a story about a little boy who is walking down a jungle trail in Africa. He's walking down this trail, and I have no idea why he was carrying a polka-dotted umbrella, but he was. He met an elephant, and the elephant looked at him and said, Young man, where are you going? The boy said, Well, I'm going nowhere. The elephant said, Well, so am I. Let's go there together. The idea is that if you're not really headed anywhere, it doesn't really matter who goes along with you. If you don't really believe anything, it doesn't matter how many people join up with you. And you see some of these great big movements of people that gather together and they're all getting together. They're all standing on the platform and everybody's singing Kumbaya and they're all getting in circles. Listen, when you don't really believe anything, it doesn't matter who you're holding hands with. But when you have some things that you believe, there is some cause to separate. And as Baptists, you know, we get thrown under the bus a lot because of that. Because we say that there's some things that we're not really willing to bend on. There's some truths that are given to us in the word of God that we believe are of utmost importance. And there's some that are secondary matters and we don't need to hold those up and we don't need to try and build uh, you know, foundational doctrines on those. And some people get too far down some of those trails and you know, they're willing to separate from their own dog. You, know, it, you don't need to do that. We got to remember there's love and love is a priority and we need to love each other, but there is some truth that we got to hold to. We need to know what that truth is and we need to abide by it. And he tells us here it is the doctrine of Christ. Now, there's a lot we could give you about the doctrine of Christ, but we talked about it already his humanity, his deity, his virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. These are things of the doctrine of Christ that are critical, that are important, that we cannot bend on. In John 7 16 and 17, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He says, Hey, it's not my doctrine. The doctrine of Christ is not my doctrine. It's it's of the Father. And that's the doctrine that we need to follow. Then we see in verse number 10, we see the decline. uh, And lest to be confusing, it just hit me. That could be like, you would look at that as a like, declining down is declining is in the rejection uh i don't know if those words are spelled differently or not think about the human uh uh the english language how you can have two words that mean different things that are spelled the same that's ludicrous but uh anyways we have the decline okay um that is to reject something to decline and you'll see it here in verse number 10 he says if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine receive him not into your house Neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. So there is a declining, a rejecting of fellowship with those who don't believe sound doctrine, who don't believe in the, uh, you know, really specifically in the context here is the doctrine of Christ, the things concerning Jesus Christ. And you know, because of our teaching through First John already, the Gnostics uh, and what they believed and what they were practicing ultimately was a denial of Jesus Christ and who Christ was and all of that. We've talked about it. I don't want to go down into that, the Gnostics' belief uh, again. 
But that's foundational to why he keeps addressing this uh, with these believers. So we've got to be careful. He says, hey, don't even fellowship with them. Somebody that is teaching false doctrine should not be entertained by you. They shouldn't be welcomed into your home. We're not to wish them Godspeed. I think of it like this, almost like you think about uh, 2020 and the, you know, isolation and the uh, quarantine, right? Everybody's got a quarantine. You, you, you caught something, you got a quarantine for 14 days or 21 days or however long they said at that time. And the idea is, was you have a contagion. You have something that could be caught by somebody else. And therefore, I mean, if you were in 2020, I could have a stamp certificate from the Department of Health that said I was healthy. And if I went to somebody's door, they would be upset at me. Like, why are you here? Like, don't you know there's a, there's a contagion out here? Don't you know there's uh, COVID? There's a problem? We don't want everybody getting sick. And everybody was so afraid of it. That, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, you need to be afraid of it. There is false doctrine out there that is contagious. That you get around and you start fellowshipping with that kind of a person. You start spending a bunch of time with them. Before long, you're going to be talking like them. You're going to be believing like them. You won't even realize it. It could be a subtle transition, but all of a sudden, you don't think maybe, maybe the word of God is not really like 100% without error. I know it's God's word, but I mean, after all, all these years, we've had the book and, and maybe there's some things in here that aren't quite exactly what God wanted them to say. Uh, and so then you just kind of doubt in a little bit, right? That happens. It happens to preachers. Preachers that hang around with the wrong kind of preachers because they want to be asked to come back or speak at some conference or something. And so they're hobnobbing with and rubbing shoulders with some big wigs around the country. And then before long, what you realize is all of a sudden they're preaching. is sounding a whole lot like some other guy out there because no longer does he stand where he used to. And that's what he's saying. He says, you need to be aware of this. You need to treat it like a contagion. Don't invite them into your house. Don't entertain them. Don't, don't even wish them Godspeed. He says, if you do, you're a partaker in their actions. You're a partaker in what they propagate. And how sad would that be? We certainly will not receive a full reward if we do that. Be careful, very careful about that. Um, we know in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 5, he says, From such withdraw thyself. Uh, there's 3 through 5, if you're right, making notes. 1 Timothy 3 through 6, 3 through 5, uh, talks about false doctrines and how we're supposed to withdraw ourselves from those. You know, we've got to be cautious. Don't allow them around your children. They're going to influence or impact your children. Don't allow them around other believers where they could influence or impact other believers, being cautious and careful in the church house. Again, if anybody's coming here with a desire to learn, it is our job and responsibility and our privilege to share and to try and give the truth. And we take that weight and responsibility very seriously. And we're glad to do it. But if somebody's objective is not to learn, but they want to come in and debate and argue and they want to come in and try and share their beliefs or their truths, uh, what they believe something has with the church as a whole, um, that's not what this church is for. So we've got to be careful about that. 
Um, so I want you to see, lastly, the destination. Ultimately, what is the goal? Having many things, verse number 12, having many things to write unto you. He had lots he wanted to say. Sounds like a preacher, right? He says, I would not write with paper and ink. That sounds like me. Just, it's too arduous to write it down. I, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that your joy may be full. Of course, it might have been, uh, I think it was Lee Robertson that said it to his preacher boys, and I've tried to practice this through all my years, uh, and he said, don't ever write down anything negative. If you have something negative to share with somebody, you share it in person. Try and always write down things that are positive. If you have an encouraging word for somebody, put it in paper. You don't want to put something, you know, you got to talk to Brother Sam and you come and listen, Brother Sam, I just want you to know that uh, last four or five weeks you've been coming to church and there's just an odor. There's just like something following you, you know, and it's just getting bad. And, uh, you know, just want to encourage you. You don't want to write that in paper. You don't want to give that to him in a note because for, for the next two or three weeks he's going to be looking. He's like, oh, pastor thinks this, you know. You want to say it so it can be heard and forgotten. And then, uh, but you want to say, hey, brother, you're an encouragement to me. I really appreciate your faithfulness. Boy, uh, you, you did this or did that. Put it in paper because then for the next four or five weeks he could, man, pastor thinks I'm okay. You know, or hallelujah. This is whatever it might be. It could be. And so I've tried to practice that. Maybe John was doing that here. Like, I got things I got to say to you, but I ain't writing them down. <laughs> I'm going to come and let you have this in purpose person. You know, I don't know that that's the case. But whatever it is, he had a lot he wanted to say. But what was his objective? What was his destination or his end goal? He describes it here. He says that what? That your, that your joy may be full. That was his goal. He says, hey, I've got a lot I want to share with you. I want to give you some truth. I want to try and help you. And I'm going to come in person. I'm going to take the time and energy and effort to come all the way there to share these truths with you. Not because I want to get on to you. Not because I want you to stop everything that you're doing. Not because I'm upset about something that happened. Not because there's a problem I got to deal with. The reason I'm coming is because I want your joy to be full. And I want you to understand that any preacher of the gospel, anybody that stands in the pulpit and shares the message, the truth, the love of Jesus Christ, and sometimes we have to deal with hard things, and sometimes we deal with things that aren't that pleasant, but I want you to know that it should be in the heart of any preacher. I'm not saying it always is, because we're just skin and bones and flesh like you guys, but it should be our objective is that your joy would be full. Is not to get, get on you. It's not to get mad at you. It's not to skin your hide or, you know, I heard one preacher one time saying something like, oh, about every six or eight weeks, you just got to, you know, tan the hide of the congregation or whatever. That's foolishness. That's not the way uh, preachers should, it should be. We're, we're to lead and feed the flock of Jesus Christ. We're to love, the, 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 we're to just the under shepherd. You're God's people and we're just privileged to be able to share the truth. So it should be our heart's desire. Whatever message that God has laid on our heart, the goal should be that your joy would be full. That you would receive a full reward. That it wouldn't be just partial, but that we, through God's help and with God's strength, would be all that God wants us to be so that we could have a full reward when we get to heaven and we could have full joy right now here on earth. Amen. What a privilege. What a privilege that we have in the house of God to do this for one another.